All right, and good morning. We are glad that you are here. And you know what? This is a wonderful crowd, especially for Time Change Weekend. Thank you for coming. And when you leave today, our hope and prayer is, is that you get something you can take home and use during the week, something that will bless and be able to apply to your life. Well, two headlines. Number one is, God, you are so good. Isn't that a wonderful song? God, a blending of an old, old chorus with some new words. God is so good. If you need to write that down, do that. If your life is difficult right now and you need to write that down, go ahead and do that. If you need to go to the tattoo parlor and maybe get it on your hand somewhere, go ahead and do that because we need to remember that, God, you are so good. Number two, second headline is... We've got so much to be thankful for. Thank you, Bing Crosby, for the song. Love it. God, we've got plenty to be thankful for. And we may not have all the fancy things in life, but guess what? We got Jesus. And shoot, Jesus is enough. That's all that really matters. Now, we're going to spend the entire month talking about uh, gratitude. You know, we, if, if you'll think back just a little bit, you know, we, in that series, we talked about greed, and that was kind of the... That was kind of difficult, okay? But then we talked about generosity, and we saw that so played out this week in Judgment House because generosity, remember, has nothing to do with the amount of money. It has to do with our attitude. And what I saw this week was so many great attitudes as people gave themselves away, gave their time away. It's been said that time is your most precious commodity because you only get 144 minutes a day, uh, 1,440 minutes a day, and so, hey, it's all you got. And when you share that, you're sharing a great and wonderful gift. And then we're going to talk this whole month now about how can we be thankful. And the key is, the more thankful we are, the more we express gratitude, the happier we are going to be. Our sermon title is Crazy Gratitude. And no, that is not a time change mistake. It's upside down because it's crazy, crazy gratitude. And we're going crazy over being thankful for all that God has given us and done for us. Sermon title, of course, is Be the One. Be the One. Did you know, did you know that it's been said? No, it's not said. It's a fact. Someone said it's a fact, okay? Did you know that 10% of the people in any given church, Baptist, Methodist, doesn't matter, whatever denomination, doesn't matter, 10% of the people give 90% of the offerings? Isn't that amazing? Be the One. Be the one. Did you know that 10% of the people do 90% of the work in any given church? Yeah, it's just true. Be the one. And those may be challenging for us, but this is a no-brainer. We can all be the one that gives thanks back to God. Our scripture is found in Luke chapter 17. It's a very familiar story, but last night of all time, actually, I snuck away before the first group came through. I snuck over to my office and was studying for this morning, trying to get that thing in my head. And I, I ran across verse number 10 of Luke chapter 17. And I said, Oh, we need to talk about this. It's one of those verses that you kind of go, What? It's still a little bit more difficult. And Luke chapter 17 and verse number 10, look at this thing. Now, now this is Jesus talking. This isn't Paul or Peter on a rant. This is Jesus. And look what he says. In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, so you do all this stuff, you know, all that God asks you to do, you do all of that, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Wow. And you know why? It's because of this. 
What do you think? When you think about you know, God you know, sending Jesus to the earth, and we have Christmas, and then he lives a sinless life, and then they, they crucify him on a Roman cross, and then we have Easter, and he resurrects on the third day. When you have all of that, okay, and, and then he says, okay, anyone who believes in Jesus, okay, and turns from their sin can have this incredible gift called eternal life. What other response can we have? Can we work enough hours? Can we give ourselves away enough to where we somehow you know, earn that? No. We, Jesus said, listen, just say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Wow, what a verse. Don't hear that one preached too often. And like I said, I, I jump back up to get that. And here's a, here's a fun fact. You want a fun fact? In between, see, this is something we don't pick up on. In between this verse... In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say we are unworthy servants building our duty. In between that and verse number 11, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, you know what happens? All of John chapter 11. The whole thing. In between the time he says this, and then he says what Luke says, what he says about Jesus next, we have all of John chapter 11. And you might be going, well, what in the world is John chapter 11? It is the death and resurrection of Lazarus. So tucked away between these two verses in Luke, all of the great story about Lazarus, and Lazarus come out, and Lazarus comes back to life, and Mary and Martha, all of that occurs tucked in the middle. And so often, some of the best and greatest truths are tucked away in the most special places in the Bible. So, So when we think about that verse, it helps us understand the next verse. Look at verse number 11. As, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Now, I want you to zone in on as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem. It's so amazing. You know, we know the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He, he came to find the broken people of the world, which, by the way, is all of us. I, I shared so many times this week in Judgment House how that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so, so he continued on toward Jerusalem for the sole purpose of seeking and saving that which was lost. Do you know what I love about Jesus? You know, Jesus was able to focus, to zoom in on the mission. And what was the mission? It was this. You ever want to know, well, why did Jesus come to earth? It was this. You know, you know why did Jesus you know, live a sinless life? It was this. It was the cross. He came you know, on Christmas again to, to, to die for our sins. That's the whole reason why he came. And yet, and yet, he never lost the purpose. Yes, he's going to Jerusalem, but even on his path to Jerusalem, He wasn't too busy to see people. He always focused. Now listen, listen. He always focused on the mission, but he never lost track of the object of his mission. And the object of his mission was people. You know, churches can get really busy doing a lot of stuff, have a lot of great programs, but we must never lose track of two things. Jesus and people. Jesus and and people. It doesn't matter we got the finest worship, the biggest programs, the nicest building. None of that matters if we lose track of Jesus and people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. 
And Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And notice this. He passes through this mission field. He, he reaches the border between Galilee and Samaria. Galilee was the poor side of town. Galilee was the wrong side of tracks. And it isn't crazy. There are two things you know about Galilee. Number one, they were poor. Jesus, are you ready? Jesus didn't even make middle class. Jesus was lower class. A lot of Galileans were lower class. And where did Jesus spend most of his ministry time? In Galilee. When Jesus wanted to choose his apostles, his disciples, who did he pick? Galileans. So it's so amazing. He saw this incredible mission field. Do you remember when we built this building and we had to make this decision? Brittany, you remember this? And we talked about moving. Remember, we said, well, should we go buy land somewhere and build a whole new complex? And we determined, no, this is where God put us. It's not the fanciest part of town, but it is our mission field. And that's why Dorsville sits where it sits. He served Galileans. But watch this. He also served Samaritans. Samaritans were the enemy of the Jews, and the Jews were enemies of Samaritans. Um, they, were, they were half-breeds. Um, they were victims. The Samaritans were victims of racism. They, they were victims of prejudice. To every Jew, a Samaritan was a dog. To every, to every Jew, a Samaritan was a half-breed. Not worthy. Unworthy. And yet when Jesus takes his journey... Goes right through Samaria. See, he he saw he saw Samaria not as an area to avoid, but as an area to embrace. He he didn't see a place you know to where it was opposition. He saw it as a place of opportunity. So our teaching point says this. Our teaching point says that. There we go. No, there we go. Thank you. I missed one. You know, Jesus pressed on because that was why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days were coming. Now remember, this is six cha- eight chapters before Luke chapter 17. Even as early as that, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to go to Jerusalem. And if that involved uh, Jerusalem, if that involved Samaria, if that involved Galilee, it did not simply matter. That was why he came. So let's look at his destination and his course. Because it's very important. Our teaching point there, Eli. There we go. His destination and chosen path all speak of his character and his purpose. His destiny was where? His destination was the cross. Okay? And spoke of his purpose. But notice his chosen path. That speaks of his character. You know, one of my favorite verses is, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, God, delights in that path. And again, knowing that Jesus came for the express purpose to die for the sins of people, that was his chosen path. Did you catch that in the song? That sometimes sometimes the journey, sometimes the path that God gives us is difficult. Sometimes it involves suffering. It's too bad in America that we've been taught that if you get Jesus, everything is pecan pie with ice cream. And it's not. You know, you know, he chose, you know, God, Jesus chose 12 guys. One of them betrayed him. One of them, you know, turned his back on him. Okay. That left 11. Of that 11, one of them, John, was exiled to Patmos and lived to be about 90 years old in isolation. But the, you know, the other ones, the other 10, all martyred. 
There was no rock star. There was no perfect life. There was no, no woo-hoo. There was death. There was suffering. And there was pain. Listen to this verse. In, in Isaiah 53.10, this is the prophetic looking forward to Jesus chapter. Yet it pleads, hey guys, hey guys, uh, time to stop. I'm talking, you're not. Okay? Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him severely. It pleased the Lord to crush him severely. Imagine that path. You know, that God sent his son Jesus Christ to the earth to be crushed severely. And that's what it was. And that's what it was. So the Bible says that as he's traveling, in verse number 12 and 13, as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. As he, gets to the, as he gets to the border and between Galilee and between Samaria, there, there are ten guys, and they're standing at a distance, and they have leprosy. And you need to understand with leprosy, that was a walking death sentence. You are going to die. If you had leprosy, you are going to die. It was just a matter of time. But worse than that, you're isolated. By law, everywhere you went, you had to declare, unclean, unclean. No family, no community, no church, nothing. And he sees these 10 people with leprosy. Can I ask you a question? Who's your 10? Who's your 10? Who do you have in your life? Who do you have in your world that stands at a distance from from God, that stands at a distance from from culture, that stands at a difference from community, that stands at a a distance from church? Who is it? Is it the single mom down the road with two kids who, like I said, I think last week, who does not know where Thanksgiving is coming from or Christmas is coming from? Is it the guy down the road that, that his yard looks like a junkyard and you're angry at him because his property values are hurting your property values? Is it somebody you know that's like Jamal was, addicted to drugs or alcohol? Is it someone struggling with their gender identity? Is it someone from the other party, whatever party that is? Who are the ten people in your life? That they stand from a distance. They stand from a distance because they've been isolated. And here's the great part. I love this. It's because, you know, with God, he wants to end the isolation. He wants, he wants these people to come home. So, so they, they're standing there at a distance, and they begin to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Jesus. Our teaching point says it. Jesus means God saves. Literally, from, from, the, from the Greek, it means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. So, so somehow they had heard. We don't know how. Uh, there was no internet. There was no Facebook. Uh, there was no newspaper. There was no new magazines. But word got around. And that this guy could heal leprosy. This guy could kill or heal the walking dead. Jesus Jehovah's salvation, God, master. Peter uses this word, and it means uh, commander, commander. 
He, he, they knew this was the guy who could command leprosy. This is the man who could command leprosy to be healed, and it could be healed. And they cry out for mercy, unmerited love. Ten walking dead cry out to the giver of life. It was a cry of desperation and of faith. Desperation and faith. Jesus was their only hope. Now look at me. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. Man, I know we are so frustrated with our country. And, and by the way, Tuesday is election day. I'm not telling you how to vote. You need to vote because it's your civic duty to do that. But let me just tell you something. The hope of America is not in a political party. The, the hope of America is not in a man. The hope of America is in a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. His, listen, His name is Jesus Christ. When I stood before those groups and these other presenters did, we made sure they understood something, that church couldn't do anything about the problem. That religion couldn't do anything about the problem. What does something about the problem is the answer and the answer is Jesus Christ. How powerful. Jesus! Master! Have mercy on us. The only hope was Jesus. And folks, look at me. The only hope today is Jesus. Over in John chapter 6, there's a time when Jesus taught some really hard truth. And, and the Bible says a whole lot of people left him. And so he looks at the guys and says, hey, are y'all going to leave too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. And church, we got to make sure we stay focused on Jesus because where else are we going to go? And we got to make sure that's the message we get out to the ones that are separated out there. That their only hope, it's not religion, it's not church, it's Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Sinclair Ferguson said this. He said, it's not your life and your past that determine your life. Now, let me, let me put a little twist on that for you that might help it make even more sense. You know, it is not, it is not your present and it's not your past that determine your future. It's not your present, it's not your past that determines your future. And then he says this, it is Christ's life and his past that determine your future. Do you ever thought about this? Jesus Christ is the only guy who lived 2,000 years ago that has a present. Isn't that cool? He's the only guy 2,000 years ago that's still alive today, still impacting the lives of people. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And forever. And he can impact our, our present. He can impact our past. And he can impact our future. And so in verse number 14. The Bible says. He looked. He looked at them. I love this. I love this. For so many people. These ten men. Were invisible. For so many people. These men didn't even exist. They could holler or whatever they wanted to do. They didn't even see them. But to Jesus, every man and woman and child is visible. 
He sees, he sees what we don't see. He always sees the socially invisible. In our world, it's the homeless. In our world, it's the broken. In our world, it's the addicts. In our world, again, it's the ones struggling with, with gender. And a thousand other cultural issues that we have that we want simply for them to become invisible so we don't have to deal with them. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ dealt with them in love. And if we're going to be Jesus followers, we have no choice but to do the same. I had a young person struggling with gender identity in one of my groups. He was a she. We talked a little bit afterwards, and I followed her down the hallway, and I said, I want you to know something. I said, do you have a church? She said, no. I said, I want to invite you to come here. And there's a friend that was with her, and I said, do you have a home, church home? No. I want to invite you to come here. And there was another guy who, who obviously was just struggling I mean, in, in darkness and black, you know, dressed in the dark. I said, dude, do you have a church home? No? Oh, I want to invite you to come here. Brothers and sisters, we cannot, should not, will not ignore the invisible because God didn't, Jesus didn't, and we simply cannot. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we are the one who associates degrees of lostness. What did I say at the beginning? All have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. So he looks. And then he says to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, when you're a leper, there's only one reason to go see the priest. I mean, if you had leprosy, the priest didn't want to see you. In fact, the whole church didn't want to see you. So there's only one reason why he would tell them, go show yourselves to the priest. And that was, he was going to heal them. The problem is, he didn't say that. He didn't say, hi, okay, yeah, hey, I see you guys over there. Uh, listen, I'm going to cure you. So let's declare it. You're cured, now go see the priest. Nothing. There's no evidence. Their circumstances didn't change. Nothing. All Jesus said was, go show yourself to the priest. They had to make a decision. They had to decide. Are we going to believe this guy? Because apparently, if we're going to see the priest, the only reason we go to the priest is if we were healed. So, so do we believe this guy or do we like, mm, I don't think so. The Bible says that as they went, when they made that crucial, when they, reached, when they reached critical mass and they determined that regardless of the fact there was no evidence, there wasn't really a command that, that they were healed, in spite of that, they chose to follow Jesus' command and go see the priest. Here's something worth writing down. You need to remember, remember that clarity with God, clarity often comes after obedience. I know, I know. Here's what we want. God, you make it really, really clear to me, and then I'll obey you. You make it really clear, and then I'll obey you. That's how God works a lot. He just simply says this. If you want clarity, 
obey me. So these guys chose to step out and believe, okay? And they, and they go to see the priest, and as they went, the miracle happens. The Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So what's our teaching point? Our teaching point is this. Jesus saw them as they were. Listen, listen. We cannot wait for the world to get better. We've got to love them as they are. Come on now. Don't get quiet on me. We've got to, Jesus saw these men as they were. We've got to see the world as they are. And then he looked at them in love. He looked at them in love and then spoke the words of hope. Go show yourself to the priests. You know, Jesus did this looking at them in love thing a whole lot. Do you remember the dude, the rich guy who came to Jesus and said, hey, what do I need to do to, to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, what do the commands say? And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he, and he goes, I've, I've done all that already, Jesus. What else you got? It wasn't true. You know, Jesus could have said, liar, liar, pants on fire. But he didn't. You know what the Bible says it says? Yeah. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Oh, what about the woman taking adultery? They drag her down there, out, you know, out of bed, committing adultery. You know, hey, Jesus, Moses says we should stone this woman. What do you say? You know, he said, okay, well, first person without sin cast the first stone. Slowly they all walked away. And then Jesus looks at her and says, where are, your con you know, where are those who accused you? There aren't anybody. Okay, I don't, I don't condemn you either. Hashtag, I love you. Now go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. How about the woman at the well? You answer for water, and, and so, so he's talking with her. So finally he goes, um, so why don't you go get your husband? <laughs> and she goes, don't have one. And Jesus said, you're right. He spoke truth. He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had four others, and this guy's not your husband. You're just living with him. Why would Jesus do that? Because he loved her enough to speak the truth. See, church, listen. We, we, listen, we can love people and speak the truth. It's hard, but we've got to do that. We've got to be willing to speak truth. We can't compromise. But we can love and not compromise. The last one was was the guy that, uh, <laughs> you know, the sheep thing. He, he, they land on, he lands on shore, and, and you know, all these people are there, and, and he looks at them and goes, hmm. He says, what is wrong with these people? They're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he had compassion on them. See, so when it says Jesus saw them, he did... But he looked at them in love. He looked them through the lens. Church, we've got to look at people through the lens of love. And he spoke words of hope. Hope. Going to the priest could only mean one thing. Healing was on the way. Well, in verse number, number 15, one of them, this is to be the one, one of them when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. 
All ten took off, and as they went, they were healed, and they looked at their, their skin was restored. And, and they even, I read it again last night how they said that you know, your, you know, digits could fall off because of leprosy. And we assume that since they were healed, they were restored. And when this one guy saw this, now listen, listen, listen. Generosity, when he saw the hope of the healer, generosity drove him back. I'm sorry, gratitude drove him back. To Jesus. Do you think, do you suppose that when we love this culture in the name of Jesus, when we speak and see them through the lens of love, that after God does his mighty miracle, that they'll find themselves at the feet of Jesus? Absolutely. This guy, this guy comes back and he couldn't stop praising God. Verse 16, Eli, we're going to skip that quote. Verse 16. So he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Of all the ones, it was the enemy, the half-breed, the one that suffered so much racial prejudice and, and, and all of that, is the one who came back and fell at the feet of Jesus. Look at our teaching point. You know, compelled by, driven, driven by gratitude, the unlikely does the unlikely. It wasn't the nine Jewish boys who came back to thank the Jew. It was the Samaritan who came back to thank the Jew. In fact, you know, an enemy of the Jews falls at the feet of one and worships him. It's just another example of the power of grace. And mercy. Is it possible that when we show the culture the love of Jesus, would they demonstrate the power of grace and mercy? And the answer is yes. 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 So Jesus asked these questions in verse 17 and 18. And I call it the, the gratitude test. Jesus asked, did I heal ten men? And the answer is obviously he did. Question two was, where are the other nine? And then lastly, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Three piercing questions. You know, if, if he were to, you know, so many of us here today know Jesus, and, and he would ask this, this, our congregation, you know, did I heal 200 people? And the answer would be, yeah, yeah. And then he would ask the question, so how many of us are willing to be the one and be filled with gratitude? In this case, the unlikeliest person. We're all, listen, we're all likely candidates for gratitude. All of us are. We should be willing to fall at the feet of Jesus. You know, the, the teaching point says, you know, says this. Actually, hit Luke 17, 15. Eli, I'm skipping here. Luke 17, 15. This is, there you go. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed thee. After he falls at the feet of Jesus, he says, I want you to stand up and go. Your faith has healed thee. What he wanted to do, he, the man was healed, but Jesus wanted him to know why he was healed and why he was will, healed 
was faith in Jesus. When we go out into the culture, we will make sure that people understand we're not the answer. The Southern Baptist Convention is not the answer. The Baptist denomination is not the answer. Dorisville is not the answer. The answer is faith in Jesus Christ. So this month, as we launch this series into, into gratitude, number one, are you willing to find the ones in your world that are broken? Are, are you willing to find the socially invisible? I, 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 I got two minutes. I got to tell a little bit of the story. It was, time gets away from me. Four years ago, five years ago, three years ago, this lady wanders into our office, and she obviously is struggling. We gave her some water and prayed with her and some other things. And Well, it turns out that she was going to be a big part of our lives, but a really big part of one of the members of our church. I don't think you'll mind me saying her name. Her name was Dee Dee Seagraves. And Dee Dee just adopted this lady and gave and gave and gave. To most people, she was socially invisible, but not to Dee Dee. Dee Dee saw through the lens, through the eyes of Jesus, and it changed everything. So can I challenge us to look through the eyes of love, through the eyes of Jesus? Can I challenge us to find our ten, the ones that everybody else counts as invisible, and make them visible in our world? And can we live this month realizing just how much we have to be thankful for? Would you bow your heads, please? Wow, thank you all so much for listening this morning. And as we talk about, as we think about what we talked about today, you know, the cross, that Jesus came and died that we could have forgiveness of sin. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, my friend Brent is going to be standing down front. And we would love to tell you. I mean, this is what we did all week to, I guess, 800 people. And ask each one of those groups, you know, would you be interested in asking Jesus Christ to come into your life? We ask that question today. And for those of us who already know him, then we have this. Are we willing to see the invisible? Are we willing to be so filled with gratitude that obedience is natural? The altar is going to be open uh, for prayer uh, during our, our closing time here as we sing our last song. If you have any questions or anything we can help you with, any decision we can help you with, you can come down and see Brent. Father, thank you very much for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Father, I just love you today. I thank you for what you want to do. I pray for those who might be struggling in life, perhaps socially invisible to so many people. And may they know that you see them and you love them. And Father, help us to see the socially invisible. Help us to be so filled with gratitude that it's just natural for us to obey you. We're driven by gratitude to serve you and to love you. So bless this time of decision. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.